Hi, this is Lovey Ajayi, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 58 of Chasing Dreams. Today is a very fun-filled and special episode I have with me, Lovey Ajayi. She's an award-winning writer, digital strategist, speaker, who thrives at the intersection of comedy, technology, and activism. A 13-year blogging veteran, she covers all things pop culture on her blog, awesomelylovey.com. Her first book, I'm Judging You, the Do Better Manual, will be released September 13th and is now available for pre-order. But for you guys, it's actually just released yesterday. So definitely go out and check it out. It's in multiple forms, digital, print, audiobook. Uh, so do that. All the links in the show notes. Lovey is also the executive director of the Red Pump Project, a national nonprofit that raises awareness about the impact of HIV and AIDS on women and girls using red shoes as a symbol of empowerment. She's also an avid traveler and her love language is shoes. And she's taken some time mm-hmm. to come on the show and talk about chasing her dreams. And Lovey, I've known you for a bit or been following you for a while because you've been in the blog industry for 13 years, as it says, yes. and you were teaching it. Yes. So um, when I was working full-time for a nonprofit, um, after I graduated from college, I was actually teaching other nonprofits how to use social media to tell their stories. So my background is in digital communications and marketing. But when you were young, teens and such, did you see yourself going that route? Is that something you imagined for yourself? No. When I was young, I thought I was going to be a doctor. You know, when I started college, my, my major was psychology pre-med, but I ended up dropping the pre-med piece after my first semester when I got the first B of my academic career in chemistry. And I basically was like, do I even like hospitals? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even like hospitals. So me as a doctor is probably not going to work, but I still love psychology, which is why I kept it. So I figured I would actually end up being a psychologist. But as you see, that didn't happen. It didn't, but I think you use it probably in your day-to-day life. I think I do. I think I do. It helps with the whole analytical thing. Well, you are a pro at social media. Uh, You are all over the place. You are on Instagram, Twitter. You actually have three Instagram accounts because you have one for yourself. (laughs) You have your uh, must-love shoes, right? And you have Judgy Pop, which is connected to your book. All fun things you guys should should follow because... They're fun to see what she what she has going on. But you have 47.3 followers on your Instagram, 84.2 on Twitter, 1,000 on yeah. Twitter, right? Yeah. And it, that's not an overnight thing. How did this happen? Like, how did you even go that route? You decide not to do pre-med, and here you are, you're doing teaching digital strategies to nonprofits. 
How does that translate to today, 84.2 thousand on Twitter? Oh, man. You know what? It takes a while. So I've been blogging throughout everything. So I call myself a 13-year blogging veteran because I've been blogging since college. I'm in three. That's when I first, when I started my first blog. And uh, when I graduated in 2006, I deleted that blog where I used to talk about all things undergrad and exams and basically pretty boring to start what is now awesomelylovey.com where I talk about pop culture, TV, race, politics. Um, no matter even when I was just working for somebody else, I was still writing. And that's kind of what has led me to this point is many people who started blogging around the time I did stopped. Their blogs no longer exist. So you don't know their name. But I was one of the ones who stuck with it. When I got laid off, I was blogging even when it wasn't making me any money. I was blogging when I didn't even think blogging was a business. I just thought it, I just love to write. So I'm going to write online. But the best part for me is that you write with your own voice, right? Anybody yeah. who has not read any of your posts would, might be confused. And you do provide a primer, right? You have essentially your own language, kind right. of, right? But you also use GIFs, which I always love that. And that's actually what drew me is you have GIFs in between paragraphs here and there, and they're always appropriate. And you've <laughs> never lost that. At least I, I haven't seen it throughout the time to, to, till today. Yeah, I mean, you know, the GIFs, I love using GIFs just because, one, when people read on the internet, you can't just give them giant blocks of text. How we read on print and what we're holding in front of our face is different from how we consume information online. So I use the GIFs to kind of give people a quick brain break and a quick way to just interrupt the text. And it's a good way to get to keep people engaged. So I can write a piece that's 3,500 words and have about five or six GIFs in it. And it doesn't feel as long to you because you've, you've had slight breaks through it. So I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of studying how people consume information. So when I first started using GIFs, I just thought they were cute. But then I realized that they actually do serve a real purpose to give people, even if it's like a three-second break, to keep going. There is something to be said, especially when you are giving a lot of material, giving those mental breaks without telling them, hey, here's a mental break. And you've yes. been doing this consistently as you're going through, and you've also, at the same time, started your Red Pump project. Can you tell us a little bit about how or why that kind of came about? Yeah. So the Red Pump project is my nonprofit where we raise awareness about the impact of HIV and AIDS on women and girls. And I started it seven years ago with a friend of mine because I found out one of my friends has 20 cousins who live with her grandmother in Malawi because their parents died of age-related complications. And my friend Karen, one of her really good friends, lets her know that he's HIV positive. For us, we wanted to do something around it because it was kind of like a, oh, wow, I didn't know this epidemic was still such a thing because we hadn't heard about it in a long time. At that point, she was also blogging. Um, so we decided to activate our blogger friends and say, hey, on March 10th, which is National Women and Girls HIV and AIDS Awareness Day, Talk about this issue, even if your blog is a fashion blog, even if your blog is a gossip blog, because we want to generate conversation and normalize the conversation and end up being 135 bloggers joining us. And that was March 10th, 2009. So 
we started as a social media campaign, which we called Rock the Red Pump, and we evolved into a national nonprofit organization. And now we have ambassadors in four different cities and states. We do workshops around the country, and we're actually doing a 10-city cup, sticks, and condoms tour this fall uh, to really get women to a safe space to have them talk about HIV and AIDS, sexual health, female condoms. Because our whole thing is, okay, if you can talk about this stuff on Twitter, if you can put on a pair of red shoes and grab people's attention, let's talk about this very worthwhile thing. And I commend you because it's doing an amazing job of spreading awareness and also doing it in such a way that it gives it the importance it requires and still kind of makes everyone feel equal in a sense. Right. You know, my whole thing is, I think, finding ways to make people communicate information is important. And for a serious issue like HIV and AIDS, it's easy to get bogged down. So what Red Pump tries to do is, you know what, instead of us doing like the town hall meetings, we're the ones who do a fashion show where people are wearing red shoes. We'll do a brunch. We'll do cupcakes and condoms, which is basically a panel of women talking about HIV, talking about sexual health, answering questions that teenagers and their mothers might have about anything. That's like, hey, how can I have this conversation with my boyfriend about using a condom? So for us, it's really important to create safe spaces, to be the safe space also. And I love that because you're also, while you're the executive director, you do have people, volunteers, other people on your staff that are helping continue this because you are a very busy person, right? So Yes, we have, I have an amazing team. In fact, the, the 10 City tour that we're doing this fall, I'm not going to be on any of them because I'm going on my book tour. But our team keeps everything afloat. So we can go to Philly. We can go to Mississippi. We can go to, we just did St. Louis on Saturday. It's, it's a matter of um, trusting this group of women that we have. And I do because they've been with us basically for the last seven years. And, that, and that's amazing. And the reason I wanted to talk about that, guys, and all the things that I mentioned previously is because today, that stuff Lovey has been doing to grow. And, and through time, she's been doing these things. She's still doing the Red Pump Project. She's still doing her blog. And you still have, are you still doing your podcast with Scott Hanselman, the Ratchet and the no, Geek? No, our podcast, Ratchet and the Geek, is on hiatus because I hadn't had time to do it. But I had such a good time doing it. And people still ask about Ratchet and the Geek. So it's not never say never. It's just on hiatus for now. Yeah, never say never. Right. You can come back like everybody seems to from retirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys, definitely keep an eye out because that may still show up. But, Lovey, you're also, before you were talking about your blog and how you were just doing it for a hobby. And then you got into Scandal. And then you started doing recaps. And you weren't doing that necessarily for any one person, right? Was that something of love that you were just kind of inspired to do for yourself? I was doing it of love. So when Scandal started, it was a show that a lot of people had not seen anything like it in a long time. And people wanted to talk through it. And, you know, the, the storylines were complicated and people wanted to unpack it. So I started writing recaps for Scandal on my website. And people started finding my recaps and realizing that this is where you can unpack it because my recaps are where I, I drill down into what's happening. So it started becoming like the place to have this community conversation about the show that we all love. So 
she, like Shonda Rhimes started reading my scandal recaps and posting about it and Kerry Washington and people finally being like, oh my God, I found your scandal recap and then I stayed to read other things. I mean, it's a testament to what you're doing because you're not only doing scandal, you're also doing Game of Thrones. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love Game of Thrones. Love Game of Thrones. So yeah, I also do Game of Thrones recaps and it's, it's fun because these TV shows are the ones that we're all having conversation about throughout the week. So my site kind of helps kick it off and you can take it from there. And I'm sure you're probably, do you get requests for other shows that people want to see you recap? Yes. I get requests for other shows all the time and I wish I could do other shows because the thing about my recaps are they're so good because they're detailed. So I don't, I'm not the person that's writing a 500 word recap. I let you know exactly what happened and then I analyze it. So a lot of my recaps are like 2,000, 2,500 words. I think my longest recap for Game of Thrones was 3,500 words. So it takes me about three hours to write a recap of every episode. So it's for me, whenever I take on a show that this is the show I'm going to recap, I know that the night that it comes on, I'm not, I'm probably not sleeping that night. You've just already set yourself to that. Yeah, because I know I'm going to be sitting here writing recaps, finding gifs for it. And usually these shows come on in the evening. So imagine if a show ends at 10 p.m. And then I have to like decompress like an hour, go get some food and then sit there for another three hours writing it. So it's a commitment, which is why I don't recap so many shows. But people do request them. I consider and I see what's in my pipeline. I'm hoping um, in the future I can basically have some of these networks send me multiple episodes so I can like recap them quick while I'm on the, well, not quick, but like recap ahead of them time, maybe mass. Yeah. ahead of time. Yes, that would help. So because my schedule now is getting so crazy that I can't set aside three hours on most nights to just write a recap. Well, you're right. You do it so in depth that after I watch a show, because you really shouldn't read it before watching the episode, guys, it's you, you, you kind of relive it. Mm-hmm. Because you also share how you felt. And it's like, I have a kindred spirit. She felt the same way I did when Jon Snow died. And we yeah. were in that hiatus. And it's like, yes, I was, that gif was appropriate. Yes. <laughs> and you feel it. And the thing is, you you were doing these things because you enjoyed them. And then, you know, it spun off that other people saw it and appreciated it and came to learn more about you. But as you were doing it, did you see yourself going in this direction where you'd be writing a book where you'd be going to the white house and speaking and all these other things. And we'll talk a little bit more about what you've been doing, but your life in probably what 2012, I think is when scandal and stuff started. Uh, Mm -hmm. Did you kind of see your trajectory or, or how do you do it? How do you decide this is the way I want to be? I didn't see my trajectory and I didn't have any real like concrete plan of what was next or what I'm going to be doing next. I've honestly just moved and done the things that I felt like doing and loved doing. I loved talking about scandal. I love talking about Game of Thrones. I love recapping award shows that's happening. And I like, you know, driving the conversation around it. And those things have kind of opened the doors for me in ways where I didn't even understand these doors existed. You know, I, I would not have thought I would have the opportunity to moderate a panel with Shonda Rhimes and Gloria Steinem at the White House. I wouldn't have thought that I would meet Amy Poehler and she's like, oh my gosh, I have your book. I'm looking forward to reading it. So it's these things. And I think I've 
kind of trusted the universe to drive me forward as opposed to trying to plan every single step of my life. You know, the book was something that I did want to do because I've I've been writing online for so long that the book was a natural next step. I wanted to have something that people could hold on to. But people even ask me now, what's next after the book? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm kind of open to see what's going to drop at my feet. Well, you've also been a big believer. And guys, I told uh, Lovey when I actually asked if she would do this episode. um, And the reason I did it is also for what I'm about to say. She's great on social media and you're very true to who you are. You don't, you don't hide behind anything, right? What you see on social media is kind of what you get, what you say in interviews and who the, the, what you put forth is kind of an honest, true impression of you. And the one thing you said when you were putting out requests for media, someone had asked, uh, I would love to have you on the blog. And I just remember what you said back to her was, you know, shoot your shot. Yeah. Because you never know what will happen. I mean, that seems to be, you're not just saying it, you're living it. And all these experiences are coming. And I've learned so much from you just from following on social media. Because you don't shy away from the topics of real life. Right. Or not, so you're not just about scandal and Game of Thrones or, you know, you, Red Pump Project, AIDS, HIV, what's happening to the election. You were at the DNC just recently. Right. You know, and, and so do you ever think I need to hold something back or I can't touch that um, topic? What I typically hold back on is like my personal relationship. Like I don't talk about my love life. That's the one piece that I don't broach typically online because I think it's really important to have something that's mine, that's a sacred space. So that's the only piece that I kind of like keep mystery because I if you live such a public life and you live on and your job is social media, it's easy to have no boundaries for yourself. And no, I think having boundaries, everyone should have boundaries. Everyone should have something that they understand that they don't they don't have to perform. And see, I, I think it's also because you're such a people watcher. I guess would be would yeah. be a thing I would say because of the interactions you have online and your observations of things going on in the world today, you've written this book and it's entitled, I'm judging you the do better manual, which (laughs) right when you, when you think of it, I'm thinking, man, that's such a negative connotation. And actually you've done a few interviews already, some podcasts and hope Wabuke, I apologize if I mispronounced that she did a wonderful article on you for the root about your book. Mm -hmm. And I think she nails it. You're not trying to be negative or, you know, critical. It's actually the opposite. Can you tell us a little bit about why you went this approach with the book? So I I had the idea for my book in August, 2014, because somebody plagiarized my work and they literally said, Oh, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. And I was on Twitter that day ranting about it. And I said to myself, did some of us not get a limited edition handbook on how not to fuck as human beings? I was like, wait, that could be my first book. That's how I came up <laughs> with the idea. But I decided to call it I'm Judging You, which, funnily enough, when I, when I pitched it to my publishers, I was expecting them to be like, ah, you need to change the title. They loved it. They loved it. Because I think we can all do better at life. There's ways for us to be better people. And I decided to call it I'm Judging You because it's a phrase I use all the time when people do stupid things and just ridiculous things. <laughs> 
It's like, I'm totally judging you. And you think about when people judge folks about, you know, what they look like. My book is actually the opposite. My book is saying that, one, we need to be more gentle with each other about things like what we look like. But we need to be more critical about each other about how we treat each other and how we deal with people's differences and how we don't accept people for who they are. That we need to judge each other for and just be more introspective and say, you know what, this person is different from me, but I can accept them for who they are because different does not mean less than. So, yeah, my book basically uses my voice the way I talk about anything with the same straightforward way. But even when it is telling you to do better, you're going to be laughing as you're reading this. (laughs) And it actually, you're right. And you actually do have an audio version that you recorded yourself. So it's like you're you're kind of sitting there with you as you're reading this book. Yeah. So it was really important for me to record the audio version because I feel like if I didn't, my audience would be like, seriously? <laughs> what was that like? Have you have you done audio books before? No, this is my first time. Was it different? This is my first. It was very different. I didn't know what to expect. You're basically sitting in a booth with the headphones over your head. Try, like, listen to your own voice. It took me... Three days, eight-hour days, three eight-hour days, yeah, to record this audio book. The first time you get in the booth and you start listening to yourself, you don't really like your own voice. But then you eventually get used to it, and it kind of becomes, you try not to drone, <laughs> which is where, like, you're reading sentences, but you don't want to fall asleep while you're doing it. You also don't want to uh, lose energy. So you have to, like, keep your energy high. You have to make sure you're not stuttering. It was interesting. It it actually taught me a lot of, about myself as a writer. Did you lose your voice? I can't imagine speaking for eight hours, three days straight. I didn't. I actually thought I was going to, but I didn't. I was drinking a lot of lemon tea, keeping myself hydrated the entire time. So I was shocked when after the day, after day three, I, I hadn't lost my voice. I'm shocked too, because I don't know how, I mean, it's great that you've, you've taken such steps to, to protect it. And I think it's great that you have an audio version because from reading the intro, which is available online, it is your voice and everybody I feel needs uh, a friend in their life that keeps it real. And I kind of think that you're that person when you read the book and you're like, really, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, You know, my voice in general online, I am the person who says things that other people might not say, but they were thinking. And when I say it, it gives people somebody, it gives somebody else the courage to say it, you know. So that might mean, hey, me calling my friend up who used Comic Sans for one of his emails, one of his business emails. And I was like, can you never use that font ever? (laughs) (laughs) I literally called him the next day and was like, I just got your newsletter do you use Comic Sans font? And he's like, yes. I was like, please never do it again. <laughs> and he was like, cool. I appreciate that. And the next time he sends a newsletter, he's like, did you see my new newsletter? No Comic Sans. I was like, I appreciate you for it. Thank you. Because you have a very good point. There is some things that people don't want to say, and you kind of talk about it. And so your book is actually divided into multiple sections, life, culture, social media, fame. And mm-hmm. if you go to Amazon.com, guys, and you're getting the book because you should be getting the book, there's a surprise section. And in that, you talk about your experience at a restaurant with a group of friends. And then there's that one person who has the big order, right? And you're getting this. 
yours isn't up to that amount of money. And can you talk a little bit about that chapter? Because I want everyone to get an idea of what you're sharing in your book. So one of the things I wanted people to experience when they read this book is I want you to be reading the chapters and nod in your head and be like, yep, yep, definitely understand that. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely feel you. I felt that too. So that chapter is where I talk about group dinners being painful. Very much. Oh, my goodness. Group dinners can be the worst because somehow you're always short after everybody says they pay. Somehow that one person who orders everything on the menu is like, hey, we should all split this bill. And you're like, all I had was a salad. Without no. fail. Without fail. It, there always is one. There's brunch. I mean, same goes for brunch, too. Any type of group outing that includes food and people not having separate checks. It is painful because you have to sit there calculating. Somebody always says, yes, definitely put in enough. So, yeah, that chapter, it was fun to write because I was writing it with specific instances in mind, too. And that's the thing. I So I was reading, I had prepared for the interview, but just before we got on, I was reading that surprise me section and I just kept going, yeah, yeah, without <laughs> fail, I will not, I will, there's always short by like $2. Like, really? Someone jipped oh, on the tip? Oh, no, even... Oh, no, even worse. Oh, yeah, There's usually it's worse, but... By, like, 50 bucks. Like, I went to brunch a couple of weeks ago, and we were short by 50 bucks after everybody had paid. And I was like, how? How are we $50 short? <laughs> and Or there's that person that leaves, and they're like, did you did you give the money? Did did you pay? Right. Right? They dipped, and you're like, no, did he not give it to... Who? I thought he'd give it to you. No? Me? He didn't give it to me. And then you got to spot them, and it's like, all right, cool. See how that went. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's just painful. But in that chapter, you're actually the one that steps up and says it. That's the thing about you is you just kind of, because it's the right thing to say, you go ahead and put forth. And that seems to be what your book is. Exactly. And so you wrote this and it's these different sections. And these are things and experiences that, again, like I said, you're like a people watcher and you kind of observed and, and put this book together. And today... In 2016, this seems to be your year. I mean, let, let's just name a few because you're familiar with them. I'm not sure everybody else is, and I think they should be because <laughs> you've met your Shiro's, right? You met Shonda, you met Oprah, you met Ava, you met Gloria Steinem, you met Amy Poehler, right? You just celebrated 10 years of Awesomely Lovey on August 8th. You were 2016 Influencer of the Year at the Iris Awards. You just got the Good Housekeeping in Awestruck's 2016 Awesome Women Award. And guys, I'm not done. She was also, Oprah selected you as one of her Super Soul Hundreds creatives, <laughs> right? And, and this is her inaugural thing. I mean, what else? What, are we, should we expect anything else? <laughs> I'm, you just seem on a roll. <laughs> How does this feel? I mean, oh my god! I, see, I haven't even heard it all listed out like that from this year. That's crazy, right? And the year's not over, guys. This is just August when we're recording this, so expect more. <laughs> I mean, you didn't start 2016 expecting awards. You didn't. You don't seem to do the things you do for the accolades, but they are rolling in. How does that feel? I mean, is it weird? It's weird and awesome at the same time. I try not to fit in the magnitude of it all because I think that can distract me from doing more work. So like I celebrate them and I move on to the next thing. Like, okay, cool. That happened. 
let's keep going. There are times when I will use my, I actually use my Instagram now as basically like a log of what's happening for me because there are some nights when I'm about to go to sleep and I'll scroll through my Instagram to remind myself of, of what's happened this year. So that's been really cool. But I think it's really important to also keep perspective of understanding that, okay, you might be getting all these accolades, but what got you here is the work. One, I also firmly believe that I am being pushed forward by people who believe in the work that I do, people who mention my name when I'm not in the room. You know, when somebody's like, hey, make sure Lovey's at this event, or the person who whoever told Oprah, hey, Lovey should be at the Super Soul 100 list. So I understand the power of people reaching up and pulling pulling up, people making sure that you are present because they believe that much in what you're doing. And I'm definitely really grateful and appreciative of those people who speak power, who pub my book, who drop a link to something that I write. I absolutely love the people who are the reason why I'm here. And you actually talk a little bit about that and the experiences you've had meeting them. And on one interview that you did with um, Mylik Teal on her podcast episode recently, when she had a conversation with you, one of the things you said about a panel stuck out with me. And the quote you had was, be cognizant of the space you take up in a room. And you've been in many rooms lately. Mm -hmm. How do you know the space to take? I mean, you're around these people how do you adjust to that environment? Because it's not that you, and maybe it is. Let me, let me ask, actually. Is it old news by now, being in the room with Amy Poehler or these other individuals? It's never old, it's never old news because what's amazing is when I walk in these rooms, they know my name. And that always makes me, like, that always shocks me. So, like, Amy Poehler to walk up to me and say, hey, I have your book. I, it's next to my, it's like on my nightstand. I'm looking forward to reading it. It's, it's insane. Cause these are people who I've watched on television who are heroes to me. And the point I was making to my leak was the fact that she was saying, um, she feels like I'm speaking on a whole different level now. And I made the point of whoever you are seen with on, on the stage, on a panel, in a room, those people are considered your peers. When you start being seen with high caliber people, people start seeing you as somebody who's high caliber. So I moderated a panel with Shonda Rhimes and Gloria Steinem, and it went really well. So now people understand that I can be in a room with high profile people and hold my own. What was that first experience like? I mean, you've had several. Do you remember what it was like when you had the first whatever room it was, whatever your first experience was out of your norm, meeting someone um, big, so to speak. It was probably 2012 when I was uh, credentialed to do press coverage at the Academy Awards. I was on the red carpet and I got credentials with the backstage. And I was, I think, one of the first black bloggers to even have that opportunity. So... That was probably the first time. That was probably when it also was concrete that, okay, you're doing something that's getting you in rooms that you might not never be in otherwise. How it felt, it was surreal because I was 
standing five feet away from George Clooney at one point. And I ended up interviewing uh, Melissa because I was around my bridesmaids was big. So yeah, it was it was it was the beginning of something I wouldn't have imagined. And you've written about this before, but because of that, because it's something new for you and you're there and you're in these rooms, uh, you've written a, an, an article about it, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. How do you fight it? So, yeah, I wrote a piece on Medium about imposter syndrome because somebody even asked me that question. And I said, so I really sat and, th- and thought about it. A lot of times when you are in these, you're at these events, you're meeting these people who are people you've read, you've watched, you've admired their work for a long time, you might, you will be tempted to question yourself, like, do I really belong here? And one of my biggest points is, yes, you can question yourself, but don't doubt the idea that you belong in there. Because even if you happen to be in the room and it was an accident to begin with, the very fact that you're in that room means it's no longer an accident because you are there. So when you are there, okay, take advantage of that. Earn your way into that room then. Make sure the work that you're doing keeps getting better, whatever it is. Practice it. And then furthermore, there are people who do way more than you ever will because they just believe they can. It doesn't mean they're more gifted or more talented than you. It's the mere fact that they believe this. So imposter syndrome is healthy because it lets us want to be better. But if we let it take over who we are, it would also cripple us and keep us from doing what we're supposed to be doing because we're too stuck doubting our value and doubting our importance and being amongst these greats. That's actually, it's, it's really powerful because I, I think you're doing these things and people are looking to you. You were at that time probably looking to Oprah and the things she was doing. In your experience, if you look back, if, is there anyone on the radar that you think is someone to watch out for? Um, someone on the radar, like someone who's up and coming. Yeah, a blo- it could be a blogger, a YouTuber, or just someone who's doing something. I mean, you met 100, I don't know if you actually got to meet them. You had a wonderful photo shoot, but all these other 100 people, you've met a number of people, DNC and all that. Is there someone you think that um, we should watch out for? Couple of people. One, Francesca Ramsey, who was on the nightly show. She's Cheska Lee online, has a YouTube channel. Hilarious. She's the host of TV's Decoded. Francesca is the bomb. I love her. And I think, I, I just can't wait to see what she does next and how big her star gets. So she's one. Issa Rae's new show, Insecure, that's showing up on um, HBO this fall. I'm really excited for it. And Issa, of course, I'm a huge fan of Issa's. And also the person who plays her BFF on the show, Yvonne Orji, one of the funniest people I know. And I think she's going to do amazingly well. So, yeah, there are definitely people who I'm cheering on all the time, whose work I will support to the ends of the earth. And those three are, are some of those people for me. And guys, I'll have links to the th- their websites and stuff on the show notes page, so definitely check it out, as well as everything else we've mentioned. And Lovey, as we get towards the end and you look back, one of the things we talk to Dream Chasers about is what is something you would recommend for them? What is 
especially, you know, given what you're doing, I'm sure you're focusing on the book tour now. And then after that, you're going to have to think probably what next, what would you tell them? I think I would tell them that you have to push past the hard times because if you quit right when it's getting really hard, you won't get what you want. People romanticize dreams and purpose, purpose pursuing and working for yourself. It's going to be hard. That Just know that. But it's important to plan. You know, so if that means you do have to stick with your full-time job for another year just so you can save money to sustain yourself when you are following your dream, do that. That's perfectly fine. Don't think that just because you're currently working a nine-to-five, you're failing. No, you're planning right now, and that's perfectly fine. Love it. Thank you so much for the great advice, sharing your story. It's been a joy to watch, and I had a blast talking about it. Look forward to seeing what you do next and wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I am excited that you even uh, tapped on me, and I hope uh, people love this. So, Dream Chasers, that was Lavia Jai, who was gracious enough to come on the show and share her Dream Chase story while she's in the middle of what I'm sure is to be a crazy book tour schedule and just schedule in general. Okay. But I was so happy that she was able to come because she has done everything that was true to herself and she's just been doing one experience to the other. But at the same time, it was never easy. She's talked about that on social media, but also on her blog. So check that out because you guys could do the same thing. If you're true to yourself and you take action, you might be surprised what doors open for you. Okay. So find more about Lovey's book and order it because it's available today at imjudgingyoubook.com. Check out her website and blog over at awesomelylovey.com. And you guys can find all the articles and podcasts that I mentioned on the, sh- on the show earlier, or any links that were mentioned earlier, as well as her social media presence over at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 58. That's episode 58. Thank you again, guys, for tuning in. I do appreciate it. Until next time, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's aimeej one Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing.